I'm reading this morning um, the book 1 Samuel, chapter 29, verses 1 through 11. Now the Philistines had gathered all of their forces at Ephek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I have entered your service until now, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Good morning. I'm uh, Tom Manning. I'm one of the field staff pastors sent out to um, shout the name of Yahweh to the Muslim Arabs in the Middle East. I and my family are here for the summer, uh, for a summer uh, home ministry assignment. And we really enjoy coming back, reconnecting with a lot of you, and that's a real refreshment to our souls. Um, And just seeing how you're living out your commitment to Jesus in Boise. Uh, We also enjoy uh, celebrating Independence Day. And we did that until well after midnight um, on the 5th of July, or midnight the 4th. But, and then we even did it a little bit uh, like the night before last when they had extra fireworks that they needed to set off. So they were getting rid of those. Um, but this, this is a great country. Um, its uh, constitution and its freedoms are, are very good. Uh, it's a privilege to be from this country and come back 
And we know it comes at a high price. Um, We have a friend in Jordan who grew up with our kids, was on our baseball team and was sent to Afghanistan. And on his third patrol, he was um, injured, both legs um, knocked off. And his family had to leave Jordan and go back and be with him. So the bravery, the loyalty that our troops and military personnel um, display and live is not taken for granted. It's very valuable. We honor, we honor them. But for all of us who call on the Lord Jesus or confess that Jesus is our Lord, our Master, there is a greater battle. There is a greater country. There is a greater kingdom. There is a greater commander-in-chief. And we all are enlisted in the army of the Lord. Some of us might be a little uncomfortable with that militaristic metaphor. Um, I notice we don't sing anymore, you know, um, I'm in the Lord's army or onward Christian soldiers. But um, Scripture is replete with uh, a lot of fighting. And it's used as a really strong metaphor for uh, how people of God should live. We're going to kind of be bouncing our thoughts off of that metaphor this morning. And Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. Um, You know these verses. He says, You then, my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. If we are fighting the right battle, that metaphor makes sense. I think it doesn't make sense when we're fighting the wrong battles. We should not say we're fighting the Lord's battle if we're engaged in something that would not please Him because He's our commander-in-chief. So this passage today, this story helps us understand the importance and necessity of uncompromised loyalty to the Lord Jesus and commitment to his gospel cause on the earth. We'll unfold that a bit through the story. Now, the kingdom of God on earth in 1 Samuel, the kingdom that he is going to establish, is under attack. We've seen uh, in the life of Saul that internally um, Saul was, was led away by the spiritual forces of darkness into a distance from God and a even perhaps a disdain for his will. He overtly disobeyed or did not obey God several times. And the Lord told him clearly, the kingdom is going to be torn from your hand, Saul. It's going to be torn from your hand. And yet God is establishing a kingdom. So now we have David. What about David? He's the next anointed king. How is he doing? Let's... uh, review a little bit. Um, 1 Samuel 27, verse 1, David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. 
There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went away, went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish the son of Maach, king of Gath. And of the five rulers, each of those five cities of the Philistines, Achish is given the title of king. So he was probably the commander in chief or the head of this coalition of Philistine kings. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Did David uh, check with the Lord about that move, that major life move? No, he didn't inquire of the Lord. He went to the Philistines out of fear of Saul, but did that take care of his problem of fear? Well, we see in the rest of chapter 27, as it was taught us a few weeks ago, he had to provide for his uh, tribe. And one of the ways that the desert tribes would provide for their people is to go get resources from other tribes. Raiding. And uh, at least in the ancient Arab world, that was kind of a way to distribute the economic resources around the region. And it was also considered sport. Um, but David went, went farther. He would go raid the neighbors and allies of the Philistines and he would kill every man and woman. He was living in fear because when he got back, he, didn't want, he did not want Achish to find out that he had been attacking his uh, neighbors and allies. So when Achish would ask him, he said, well, I've been in the s- southern parts of Judah. I've been in the, around those neighboring tribes of Judah uh, raiding them. And Achish believed him. Did David consult with the Lord about those raids and how he was going to provide for his group? No evidence of that. So David is getting more and more confused. Um, Well, Achish likes him. The end of chapter 27 in verse 12, Achish trusted David in thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel. Therefore, he shall always be my servant. And then in the first part of chapter 28, in those days the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. This is the same uh, battle now that they're staging for in chapter 29. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Literally, I will make you the keeper of my head for life. You will protect my neck, David. David was living out of fear. And that fear uh, caused him to have mixed loyalties and to waver in his commitment to his true Lord, to his true commander. Let's... uh, Read chapter 29. But before we do, let's just think about a minute things, and we've done this in the past weeks, but things that 
would bring us fear. Things that loom too large on our uh, radar screen and cause us to start living out of fear and actually to start fighting the wrong battle. Um, Things like the state of the economy, things like the different military conflicts that are going, happening around the world, will they, will they come onto our soil? Will they affect us? What about Islamization? Muslims wanting to take over. What about our own health care system? Will it be able to take care of us? There's a lot of things, enemies out there, battles that we could fight. Not to say that they're not important. They are. But they're not the greatest battle. And we can easily lose sight of our Lord and our Commander. Chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. He says, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek. This is a major battle and a very strategic point for them to stage their troops. The northernmost reach of the Philistine lands and the Philistines would like nothing better than to expand their territory move up into the plain of Sharon and up the Jezreel Valley. So it's a critical battle. All their troops, all their forces. And the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel at the foot of Mount Gilboa. Something isn't right. Saul is doomed. The kingdom's torn from his hand. David has deserted. He's on the cusp of uh, being a traitor and fighting against his own people and against his own king. Will the enemy destroy the nation? What will happen to God's kingdom? What about all of God's promises that he promised to Abraham and to his descendants that he would give them a land forever? And now they've come into the land Is the whole thing going to fall apart? God has to do something. I mean, God isn't obliged by us to do anything, but according to His promises, He's the only one that can save this situation. And He's going to do something using a very unlikely instrument. So, in verse 2, As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, And David and his men were passing on in the war with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, now these would be the the rulers of each of these cities, probably the, the princes of the Philistines. They said, what are these Hebrews doing here? This doesn't make sense. We're going out to fight Hebrews. What are these Hebrews doing here? They're actually speaking something that David needs to hear. This is wisdom from God. They're the only ones in this story speaking wisdom. God is using them to set things right. Mixed loyalty cannot be tolerated in battle. Is an Achish answers, well, I'll tell you what he's doing here. Achish said to the commanders in verse 3, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, 
I have found no fault in him to this day. It still doesn't make sense. If he, He's the servant of Saul. Saul is his commander. But he's deserted to me, so now I, I have become his leader. He's loyal. That doesn't make sense. But Achish likes David. Again, but the commanders of the Philistines in verse 4 were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. See, it's still convoluted. He's under your rule right now, under your command. Send him back. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. David, who is your Lord? Is it Saul? Isn't it Saul? You have fought for Saul. You have fought against the Philistines for Saul. You have taken off the head of the giant for Saul. That's when the song was first sung. The Philistine commanders say, we know the song. We've heard it before. He's a valiant warrior. This guy can take off heads. What makes you think, Achish, that he's going to not take off your head? Okay, you've assigned him as the keeper of your head. Very well. Watch out. He can take off heads. The Philistine commanders see this clearly. David is a warrior of the Lord. He is under Saul. No question. He's even vowed not to lift a hand against God's anointed. What about you and me? Paul says that Jesus is our commander. He's the one who has enlisted us. And we should share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus and not get entangled in civilian pursuits. Our aim ought to be to please the one who enlisted us. I know for me, um, I do lose sight of the, the command of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, of Jesus himself. I do waver. Circumstances come into our lives that make us pull back and preserve our own interests and our own, our own skin at times and we lose sight of our Lord and Savior and Commander and the battle that we're to be fighting. I thought it might be helpful this morning to just look at a couple of the pictures of Jesus in Scripture as our Commander. Um, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Look at Joshua 5, if you would. Now, this is 300 years prior to our story. And God has led the people through their desert wanderings and brought them right up to the door of the promised land that he has promised according to his oath. And they are about ready to engage with Jericho in battle. And Joshua, I think perhaps he was praying because it says he lifts up his eyes. But Joshua chapter 5, verse 
13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Are you for us or against us? He says, No, I am the commander. You are for me. I'm your leader. I'm the one that you're following. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Our commander is holy. He has ultimate authority. He's our commander. We're in his army. Do we see him that clearly? Is our loyalty to him uncompromised? The next picture is in Revelation 19. Revelation 19. If you want to turn there with me. Revelation 19.11 Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a white robe He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus enlisted us. He is here subduing the nations. Are we loyal to him? Is our greatest loyalty to him? Are we ready to engage in the suffering or the battle that he wants for us? That battle, just very briefly, um, is really to proclaim him to the nations, to shout his name, proclaim Jesus and his kingdom in word and deed to those who don't know him and to those who do know him to bind them up and to strengthen their grip on him. But we can so easily lose sight, just as David did and engage in the wrong battle. Now we, we talked about some of the wrong battles that we could maybe get involved with. Uh, our story in 1 Samuel, I think, highlights one of the main battles that would not be right for us to get involved in. And that is the battle against God's people, against the Lord's army, for us against His church. 
The commanders knew. They knew who David was loyal to. They knew whom he, whom he belonged to. They knew who his valiant war efforts uh, were for. There was no question. He can, he, he's, so, he's such a, a valiant warrior, he'll, he can take off anybody's head, including ours. But David is stuck because if he goes out to fight with the Philistines, okay, he's going to sin against God's people. He's in danger of sinning against the king, raising his hand against the God's anointed, and probably be disqualified from kingship himself if he goes out to fight. If he doesn't go out to fight or goes out to fight and turns in the battle, like they're saying he probably could, he's going to betray Achish, who has provided, given him refuge and provided a lot for him. So he's stuck. And that's a situation he came to after a, a year and four months of not listening to the Lord, of not inquiring or asking of the Lord for wisdom. How much more for us if we withdraw? And the battle here, he, the Lord keeps him. He's right on the cusp of entering into that battle against God's people. The Lord keeps him from it. But I want to think about this for a few minutes because it's a real danger for us. We can actually battle against God's church and it's a warning for us. So how could we do that? What are some of the temptations? I think perhaps when, when we're in a sense in the church but not accountable to the church, when we start to withdraw a bit from fellowship, from those who would pray with us and for us, that could be the beginning. Tacitly agreeing with criticisms of the church. Now, we, we know some young people who are trying to reach unbelievers and unbelievers, young people particularly, see a lot of things wrong with the church. But in trying to reach them, those young believers uh, are all, sometimes swayed over to their opinions and said, yeah, you're right. Church doesn't look so good. And almost shift from an advocacy for the church to being adversaries of it uh, and criticisms. Um, we've, we were tempted along these lines ourselves. We were in the Middle East and we're trying to reach the Muslim majority with the gospel of Jesus. And we had kind of come to the conclusion or the operating hypothesis that the local church of Christian background people would not be able to embrace and absorb Muslim followers of Jesus. And so we, we took that approach. You have to take some approach, but in the process we noticed that we weren't speaking very well of the church, that they are God's people in this place, but we're starting to work against them just because we're not for them. And then we saw, God graciously showed us, that even though they're different cultures, his people from a Christian background actually loved and prayed for the Muslim people and 
ministered to them with us in, a certain, in some situations. And God saved us from going farther in that. We became then advocates of the church. Advocates of it. Another thing we can do is to criticize individuals in the church. And C.S. Lewis writes about this in the Screwtape Letters when Screwtape, you know, the senior demon, is advising Wormwood, um, his trainee, about how to deal with this patient, uh, this Christian, this new Christian that he's working with and trying to sway him away from worship and devotion to the Lord Jesus. So Screwtape writes, One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread, but through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes I, our boldest tempters, uneasy. But fortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham Gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face, bustling up to him to offer him one shiny little book containing the liturgy, which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and in very small print. When he gets to his pew, he looks round him and he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the pew next to him. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter, your patient, thanks to our Father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes, the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. At, at his present stage, you see, he has an idea of Christians in his mind which he supposes to be spiritual but which in fact is largely pictorial. And so we can be like that. We can actually be with the people of Christ and just be very critical of the individuals whom we're with. And that can begin to sway us over to, over to the enemy's side and fight the wrong battle against the church. The last um, way in which we could engage in this wrong battle would be an unresolved uh, rifts or disagreements. In uh, Philippians 4, you know, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored by, side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. The unresolved conflict here uh, is not right. It's the wrong battle. Paul says, these two women and others, they were with me. They were united with me in the same spirit in the gospel. They labored with me. 
When they're divided, they're not fighting the right battle. Bring them back. Bring them back together. And so the right battle is that we would contend together for the gospel. And I think the, the rest of the story um, highlights this. Um, instead of David falling into this sin of, of uh, attack on God's people, he, God is working with him to turn him around and not fight that battle, but get on the get on the right side and fight for the right cause. In verse 6 then of 1 Samuel 29, he says, Then Achish called David. Now, this is an extended dialogue. And when the writer spends the time to tell us, to give us the interaction between Achish and David, there's something going on I think in Achish and something going on in David that he wants us to notice. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives. Hi, Yahweh. As the Lord lives. Yahweh. He's a a Philistine king. And he's, he's invoking the name of Yahweh. I think it's very significant. You have been honest... And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably in shalom that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go, with, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your lord who came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. What is God doing in Achish? He had told the commanders, I have, he's been with me these, day, these years and days. You know, He's been with me a long time. I found no fault in him. And here he says, you have been upright. In my eyes, you have been honest. As far as I know, you have dealt well with me. As the Lord lives, as Yahweh lives, you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. That is strong language. Achish in this chapter is the primary spokesman for the Lord, even though he's a Philistine. A commentator named Clark says, There is some reason to think that Achish had actually embraced or was favorably disposed towards the Jewish religion. He speaks of angels as a Jew would be expected. He swears by Jehovah, which perhaps no Philistine ever did, 
it is possible that he might have learned many important truths from David during the time he sojourned with him. See, that's the real battle. David has lost sight of his commander. His loyalties are mixed and yet God's using him to do what God really wants to do and that's that other people from the nations would know about him and his glory. Now, I don't know if Achish was a believer, but the testimony has been very strong and he, he, he uh, spoke in the name of the Lord God, Yahweh. It's an incredible story. He has been influenced by David's testimony. David has been used by God actually in this larger battle. Contend for the gospel. Bear witness to Jesus, of Jesus, to unbelievers in word and deed, both here and abroad. But God is doing something in David. And this is even more amazing, I think. David is, he is graciously, I mean, this commander is, is being kind and insistent and loving to David and saying, you need to turn back. You can't go with us, David. You're, you're, I found nothing wrong with you, but you've got to go back. David is getting it. God is using this commander to turn him back. Amazing. Amazing that God would use that, that man. Amazing that he would use the Philistine commanders to redirect David, to make him turn. If you're like me, you do waver in your loyalty. You do wander from the Lord. We just sang, Oh to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, I'll take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Turn. The, 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 the word return or turn is used four times. This is a pivotal chapter where David begins to turn back. God graciously, we say in Arabic, you know, despite David, God's turning him, turning him back turning them back to his Lord, to deeper devotion and commitment. And it's a decisive action. Early in the morning, he says, you go early in the morning before there's any hint that you've, that you've uh, marched with my troops. You go before breakfast. You get out of here early. And he goes early. Decisive, decisive action. And there's no hint at all in the reader's mind that David ever fell into that sin against God's people or against God's anointed. It's very clear. Decisive action. The song we sang, the new song, one of the lines kind of grabbed me, said, At your name, the morning breaks in glory. Morning is a good time to take a decisive action and to turn, turn back. Suffering as a good soldier for Jesus, the one who enlisted us, in entering and fighting the battle that he wants us to fight 
a few uh, reminders of that. Again, the verses from 2 Timothy. Paul is saying to Timothy, I know you're timid, and I know you want to withdraw here, but Jesus, your commanding officer, has something for you to do, and that's you need to use your gifts, Timothy. You need to get in the church and speak the word. You need to pastor and shepherd people the gospel. In Philippians 4, we've already said how Paul says if, there, if these two ladies fall out of fellowship with each other, it has implications in, in our work in the gospel because they were together with me in the gospel. Don't let them stay apart. Bring them back together. Let them press on together for the Lord Jesus and His purposes. Our commander-in-chief gave us the great commandment, right? Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything I command you, and I will be with you always. One writer has said, that's Jesus' gracious subduing of the nations. The gracious subduing of the nations now under Christ's rule. We're not fighting a military conflict with conventional weaponry. We're fighting for the glory of Christ in His way, in His time, and together in His, his army. One last passage that you know we know is very very much connected with warfare is the Ephesians 6 passage when talk, Paul talks about the weapons of our warfare and he says in Ephesians 6:10 finally be strong in the Lord and in his strength of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And then he talks about what are the pieces of that armor. And he says... In verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now this is incredible. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. That's a major means of our warfare is prayer. To that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We're fighting together that the mystery of the gospel would be made known through those who are speaking it, but through everybody who's living it. Now I'm encouraged, after coming back, I see this happening. Um, I see as we talk with you and hear about your growth groups, that you're really praying for one another. You're really helping each other uh, know the truth of, 
of God and live it. And you're praying for those who don't know him. That's fighting the right battle. We personally, because we're sent, we have a sender's team that prays for us every month. And we've come to appreciate that kind of spiritual warfare on our behalf. We're, we're out there speaking a lot now with Muslims, the truth of Jesus. That's what Satan doesn't want Muslims to understand, the truth of Jesus. And we would never be able to do it without people praying for us. So the Sinners team is another great example of this. There's also a ministry to international students. God is subduing the nations under Christ's rule now through the ministry of the gospel. And the international student outreach is, has that as its goal. There's also the work uh, among refugees. And it's refreshing and it's good to see those of you who come together to just try to connect with refugees and try to help them and try to speak and show them who Jesus is. We can't fight this battle alone. We must do it together. Jesus has enlisted us not to battle against his church, but to contend together with his church for the gospel. May God give us grace to do this, just as he did David. A lot of grace. When we wander, you bring us back. You bring us back and get it, realign us on the right side. How do you need to re- reaffirm your loyalty to Jesus? What is he asking you to do to reaffirm that loyalty? What is he calling you to do to turn from in order to turn back to him? Maybe, maybe you are getting caught up a bit in the, the wrong battle, particularly the one against his church in your thoughts and attitudes. Is he wanting you to come back and turn from that? Maybe you need to go, go to someone and talk about that. And how can you contend with others for the gospel? Uh, is there a group that you are part of that you need to recommit to um, in your home. And I think of all the things that that men fight for, and a lot of them are very good. Uh, Last week I took, I re-roofed a house, a small house that we have as a rental here in Boise, and that was a fight. We were fighting against nails, dust, heat, one another. We're fighting. Now that's that's a battle worth engaging in because it represents and is for home and family. But it's not our main battle. What is the Lord Jesus calling us to to engage in his battle for the gospel here in Boise and around the world? Give it some thought. He's He's a victorious commander. And if our eyes are fixed on him, we'll engage in what he's calling us and leading us into. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we, we're so grateful that you have purchased us by the blood of your Son, Jesus. But you purchase us not only to just enjoy all the benefits that we have, but you've actually enlisted us and giving us, um, given us a, the privilege of serving in your army. So we ask that you would be gracious to us and 
We thank You that You are, but You would help us to turn from those things that are civilian pursuits, that are the wrong battle, that we would bind together with other brothers and sisters in the faith and really engage in the battle that You're calling us to and leading us in, and that's for Your kingdom and the making of disciples here in Boise and around the world. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your love. We thank You that you do patiently and faithfully uh, deal with us and re-engage us in your efforts. Thank you for this time together. In your son's name we pray. Amen.